Hi everyone and welcome to the Spencer Lodge podcast in partnership with Najahi Events. More about them later. Today's guest, let's talk crypto. It's the flavor of the month and everyone's rambling on about it. Is it going up? Is it going down? We don't know. Well, our guest is the CEO of Easy Crypto Hunter and one of the UK's leading cryptocurrency mining experts. He's the go-to guy for both cryptocurrency and blockchain investing. So I'm really keen to chat with him today. He's been a keynote speaker at major blockchain and cryptocurrency conferences all over the UK, and he provides consultation to some of the biggest names in the cryptocurrency industry, whilst mentoring new companies that are trying to enter the space. His goal is to teach new investors in the most transparent and honest way possible, using every chance he gets to do so. His unique perspective on the current situation this industry faces will be fascinating, and I know there'll be people listening who have invested recently in this turbulent time for the market and we'll be eager to hear what he's got to say. Ladies and gentlemen, the really smart, young, okay, and clever guy, Joshua Riddick. Well, Josh, thanks very much for coming to join us on the show today. What a topical subject. It's everything crypto. Well, yeah. I don't even know where to start with this one, but thank you so much for coming on. Look, so many people don't know what they're talking about when it comes to crypto. And also a load of people are making investments because of the opportunity to make money, but again, don't know what they're investing in either. So what I want to do today on the show is for the audience here in the Middle East and the ones that we have in the UK, we want to educate people and help them understand, first of all, how it all works. Secondly, what's going on right now? And thirdly, how you got help people does that make sense absolutely Spencer no no thank you firstly for uh, getting me on your show obviously we've been uh, been following along for a while and it was great to, uh, to get the invite to come on so thank you very much for that firstly but yeah we I mean that that is you know I share your same frustrations uh, the crypto space is one of the most exciting in the world not just for the average person on the street but particularly for business owners um, and one of my personal pet peeves is just how little uh, business owners kind of understand this space and they kind of just grab onto a certain word and don't necessarily understand what's going on underneath and sometimes just kind of boohoo it because of this, that or the other. Um, but when you really get into the meat and gravy, it's just the most exciting technology that, that we're now kind of on the precipice of and moving forward and there's just such an opportunity. So yeah, nothing more than we love them just to kind of explain that and, and get the word out there and just help break it down because it can be quite complicated but at its core it's 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 pretty simple stuff but it's interesting you say that because when when people learn about something new there is always going to be poo-pooing of that type of technology or, yeah. or, or that type of whatever actually anything new it's always the first reaction to it is negative but what's really interesting about the world of crypto to me is that that negativity has been overtaken by greed, essentially, by people thinking there's an opportunity <laughs> yeah. to make money. And they're, they're balancing these two kind of thoughts in their mind. I don't really understand it. That doesn't sound very good. What? I can make a load of money. Yeah, but I don't really understand it. it yeah, well, hold on a minute. I can make a load of money. And so then this kind of like this fear moves away from a lot of people because they get sucked into their buddy, their mate, their colleague, their boss, their, the guys on whoever it's on TikTok, Instagram or whatever telling them that they've been making X percent returns on their money. And so it's really interesting to understand the human dynamic around something as exciting as this because you'd almost, you'd almost have some, some similarities to how people go to casinos in Vegas. 
because they, they know it's wrong, but they know there's a chance of making a load of money. And so you've got the people that kind of walk in the door and walk out the other side of it again. And then you've got the people that walk in and go, oh, I'm just going to give this a go because I think I might get somewhere. And no one knows how, uh, how casinos work. No one knows really how the roulette table works because the probabilities are against you. But when it comes to crypto, people don't know that either. But in my opinion, they think they understand it a bit more and it's not like gambling, but it is kind of risky. So do me a favor, imagine the audience is all six years old. Sorry audience, sorry guys, I know you've been listening, but just imagine they're six years old. I know there's gonna be some people going, oh, I know everything about crypto, but for you guys, you can go and listen to something else for the next five minutes. But for everybody else, the thousands of you that are out there listening to this, we're gonna get a lesson in crypto. So take it away, we're all six. How does it work? What's going on? <laughs> Well, firstly, it's definitely not gambling, so that's that, that's the first thing to clarify. But uh, when when we get into the when we get into the kind of meat and gravy of it all, this is kind of how it breaks down. So what people have heard of is Bitcoin, and everybody thinks that Bitcoin is crypto, and the two things are the same, and that is just not the case. It's a little bit more nuanced than that. So we need to break it down a bit. So there are over ten thousand different types of cryptocurrency okay now firstly they shouldn't be called cryptocurrencies a currency obviously to most people is some type of method method of, uh, of paying right so you're in dubai you've got dirhams other people have dollars pounds euros yen so people think that these ten thousand different types of cryptocurrencies are ten thousand ways to pay people and that's stupid why do you need that many so it just all must be rubbish right that is not the case. Bitcoin was the first cryptocurrency and it was designed to be a form of currency, an online internet monetary system, fine. But what people haven't separated in their mind is that the vast majority of all these other coins, tokens and projects are actually not anything to do with financial payments. We have things for medical records, supply chain logistics, insurance protocols, data transfer, smart contracts, and the same way that we have the FTSE 100 or the 250, or you have a, a, a market of t typical investment goods, you wouldn't ever say that Facebook does the same thing as Microsoft because both of them have a website. You, you know, you're drawing massive parallels that aren't necessarily there. So. In order to kind of understand this the next level, so if you firstly think all these different coins, think of them as different businesses performing different business activities is the best way to separate them in your head. So rather than cryptocurrencies, think of them as crypto tokens or crypto shares, more traditionally like a stock portfolio, let's say. So what you have to appreciate is the reason why Bitcoin came first and what was so special about it was that when it was created, ultimately, where did it come from? So we flick our minds back to 2008, the big financial crisis, which no doubt all of your listeners are very familiar with. And what happened there was in very simple terms, the banks screwed a lot of people over. Um, and whatever trust was left within that sector was entirely evaporated. And people kind of came to the conclusion, the banks suck. So there's gotta be a better way of dealing with money than trusting this bank, okay? So ultimately what they did is they thought, well, why do we need to trust these banks, these third party institutions? There must be a way that I can pay you, Spencer, in Dubai directly 
You know, if you were stood next to me, we could give each other cash, easy peasy, but you're at the other side of the world. So how do we do that? The only way we can do it today is through the banking system. So there's gotta be a better way. And ultimately this is what created, what, what led to Bitcoin, but more importantly, the underlying technology which is the real secret source of all of this. The way, the way you explain that just in that moment makes me think of somebody disrupting an industry. So whether it be Uber with taxis or Airbnb with hotels, yep. it's almost like, you know, with the hotel industry, Airbnb were like, this, is, this, is, this system doesn't work. It's not effective. There's a better way of doing yep. it. And then like, like with the taxi industry, do you, do, you, do you see some similarities in what I'm without saying? Without question, without question. And here's the thing. If I said to people, the average person on the street that was fairly well educated in this might say, if I was to say what, you know, um, what got disrupted with Bitcoin, people's immediate answer that probably know a little bit would probably be money. And that's kind of right. But the real answer, which is this underlying secret source, is what is blockchain technology? Because this underlying technology band is the powerhouse between that's the kind of system, if you would, that all these other coins and processes run on, Bitcoin just being one of them. So in order to understand cryptocurrencies or crypto tokens or crypto shares, you need to understand the meat and gravy of what is blockchain. Um, and in real simple terms, what this is is just blocks of information that you can contain data, finance, in, in, you know, um, basically any type of data information in these little blocks. And the unique thing about this, again, all came from this idea of Bitcoin and this ability to want to pay other people is that why do I need to send money to the banks in order for that bank to send money to you? Why can't I pay you directly? So the whole premise of blockchain was that, well, okay, Spencer, I want to send money directly to you, but how do we verify independently that I've sent you money? Because what if I just said I did and I didn't? So the whole premise of blockchain was that anybody in the network can check that transaction. So in really simple terms, all these blocks of information just get populated on what's a glorified spreadsheet um, called a blockchain. And that means anyone in the ecosystem can publicly check that I sent coins to you at that time, at that day, at that place. Okay, okay, hold on a minute because I don't, I don't want to go too fast because I know there'll be people asking questions. So if I can just explain to the audience, when you transfer money from dirhams and you transfer it into pounds, you don't use mm -hmm. one bank, you actually use two banks. Yes. You use the bank that you bank with, plus you would use mm -hmm. a corresponding bank in the country of that currency. So if I was sending money, uh, US dollars to the UK, I would still have to correspond through the United States, a corresponding bank. And if anyone makes a bank transfer, they'll know it's not only the money from their bank account to the, the receiver's bank account, but it also has a a, a bank in the middle essentially so three banks and what do banks do they all got to take a bit of a cut because they're processing the Indeed. transaction and you've got to rely on them doing it quickly and I know many of you will know if you listen to this podcast you'll have experienced along the way transferring money that should be transferred in the space of an hour or even a few minutes sometimes takes a week well yep, what do you think later yeah and what then happens to that money while it's disappeared out of your account who's making interest on that money well it's certainly not you somebody else's as well. So with, with the blockchain, we're essentially eliminating the need to deal with banks and their archaic processes. Mm -hmm. And we're just essentially in, uh, introducing a system that is going to eliminate all of the headaches and the hassles and the people taking a little bit of a cut every time of your money, okay? And giving the freedom for me and you to send stuff to each other backwards and forwards without any intervention. 
Yeah, that, that's exactly it. So effectively what happens is in, if I was to pay you for a service now, Spencer, um, it would go from my bank in the UK to your bank over there, take a couple of days for the international exchange fee and whatever money I send, I send a thousand pounds, 950 is turning up because people take a slice in the middle, right? Problem and it takes five days. What Bitcoin solution was, was, well, let's not trust the banking system. Why don't I send those Bitcoins from my wallet to your wallet? And instead of the bank or the government being the independent verifier of those funds, why don't we let every other person in that network verify them by process of cryptocurrency mining, which I'm sure we'll, we'll get onto later, but effectively everyone can publicly see every single transaction that's ever happened. So I can't say I didn't pay you because everyone can verify that transaction. You can look on the block explorer and go, oh yeah, Josh did pay me because I saw the transaction record there. So, so, so anyone, so just to be clear, just for the, the novices out there, anyone can see any transaction. So every single Bitcoin transaction that's ever happened is publicly accessible, yes. Okay, so pay attention to that, folks, if you're listening right now. Every single transaction is accessible. You really need so, to think oh, about that for a second and let that digest, because yeah. that's really important. It is. So what does all this boil down to in simple terms? So when Josh say, look, right, I kind of get it, but what does all this boil down to? So blockchain is a new type of technology that digitizes human trust. And that's why it's so critically monumental to, to, to our modern world, because we now no longer have to trust the bank, the government, the estate agent, the intermediary broker, the insurance company, or for that matter, any third party company that sits between person A and person B. And that's why there are so many different businesses out there on the blockchain providing a myriad of business services because that same technology of having a public transaction that everyone can see moving something from one to two directly means that we don't need that third person to verify or transmit because both parties can independently see and adjudicate for themselves as well as everybody else. So it's, it's digital public trust and that's a big, big thing for the modern world. Okay, so let's, let, that's a really good explanation. So let's go on to the next bit because if, if we have this tokenization of stuff, the, the, the first thing we heard about is something you mentioned before some time ago, mining, you know, and you know, on the back of Elon Musk recently, you know, making his, his calls on Bitcoin, we come back to the point about mining. So how, how, how does mining of Bitcoin work? How, how, what's the process and, and where are they finding it? You know, because we all know what a mine is, but a digital mine, how does that work? Right, so, so that's kind of what I do. So I, I'm, I'm the CEO of a company called Easy Crypto Hunter based here in the UK. Um, and we're the largest, uh, or certainly one of the largest, cryptocurrency hardware manufacturers. So I make posh computers that mine all these coins. Um, so ultimately, that's what we do. And we sell those to, to customers. You can turn them on, plug it into the internet, flick the switch, turn it on, leave it running 24 hours a day. And as crazy as it sounds, you get paid every single day. So in this strange twist of events, which we now bring ourselves to in 2021, I own a, a multi-million pound business now selling money-making machines, which is preposterous, I appreciate, but that's, that's kind of where we are. Um, so how is that possible, you say? You know, you can't just have a machine that pays you money every day. What a ridiculous concept. Um, and on the surface, that sounds true. But think about it in terms of the internet. So 
I'm, I'm going to guess a proportion of your audience are, are business owners or at least vaguely familiar with having um, you know, their own website or at least familiar with how that works. So for yourself, Spencer, if you use you as the example, you've obviously got your own um, website for yourself, for your businesses. Every single month you pay a web hosting company to keep your internet page online. Go daddy. Right, right, why? What are you actually paying for when you're paying web hosting? And you've got me now. I don't know. I'm now angry about that. So, right. <laughs> what, so what am I paying so, for? So, right. So somewhere, GoDaddy has a massive warehouse of computers, computer servers, because providing any type of thing in the digital world, somewhere, someplace, there's physical hardware that is switched on, churning away, to make that digital thing appear. So your monthly rental for GoDaddy is covering the cost of the physical server infrastructure that requires the machines to spin up to keep your website online. So the company, GoDaddy, obviously a multi-million pound global firm, how do they make their money? Renting out posh computer power, providing a digital service. Guess what? Cryptocurrency mining is exactly the same thing. So in that example we used before, where I'm now going to send you some Bitcoin, in order to verify that transaction, so you know I've talked about this, this uh, posh spreadsheet before, in order for a transaction to be stamped on that posh spreadsheet, it takes Bitcoin mining machines, which basically just verify every single transaction spinning around the network to say, Josh's coin's real, Spencer's wallet's real, it went there at that time, stamp. So it does that through quite a complicated range of, of maths and number crunching and so forth, but it takes a lot of computer power to be able to do. But what that does is it means that every single Bitcoin mining machine in the world is simultaneously processing every single transaction, subsequently meaning that if one of those machines finds a single error, that transaction never happens, which is why now, many years into Bitcoin, 10 years particularly, we have the most secure digital finance network on earth in terms of transaction verifiability because there are no errors on the system because effectively rather than one set of eyes with the old banker behind his desk moving a payment from me to you across countries, we've now got millions of machines independently verifying that my account's real, your account's real, the money's gone between us and a little stamp on the blockchain for everyone to see. So as a thank you, effectively like a service fee for, for providing that service, you in turn as the, the miner, the verifier of the transaction, earn a little bit of coin as a thank you. How simple you explained it. Okay, I'm a government, okay, and I've now told the whole world that you can't fly without getting a COVID passport. Correct. I'm a government and I've told all of the people from my nation that they've got to pay income tax on what they earn. Right. I can manage that through my central bank, through the inland revenue, I can manage it through the banking system, we get yep. our payroll through the banking system, and then this other technology comes along which basically is gonna to stick, to some degree, two fingers up to some of the processes, policies, and structures that are in place. Mm -hmm. what, what do governments do about this to make it, make it acceptable? Well, this is, this is the interesting thing. So what you have to kind of, again here, we've got to, you're just trying to keep the, the, the explanation kind of parallel. There's a lot more going on here than just money. So we'll talk about money in this example, so let's keep it in the realms of Bitcoin, but everything else underneath that's actually much more exciting, but let's just keep it in the realms of money for this question. 
Um, yeah, you're completely right, Spencer. So ultimately, this was a technology that kind of was a two-finger up to the banking system in its conception, absolutely correctly. Um, but what we've now found, so in my kind of role running this business and obviously being quite well-educated in this space and all the talks and the keynotes that I do and such, um, I got asked to go and advise um, Brussels, actually, as one of the UK's cryptocurrency advisors to the EU. And they were coming to the conclusion that obviously, well, we need to understand this, we need to digest this, we need to get our heads around it to make regulatory policies and such, to which obviously myself and other people from around the world were able to advise with, which was you know, a great honor and, and a very interesting thing to be part of. But you're completely right. What we now have is a technology where, let's say for example, the British government tomorrow came out and said, okay, we're making Bitcoin illegal. Honestly, they have no control whatsoever. Because the only way you can stop Bitcoin is if you went and turned off every single Bitcoin mining machine in the world simultaneously at the same time. And if that happens, well then, I don't know, we've been hit by an asteroid or something. We've got bigger problems, right? So ultimately, yeah, as, as you alluded to before, if they don't have control over the central banks, they don't have control over you know, the, the, the system in which they can pull the plug on or freeze your assets, then there is no control. So that was obviously very scary for them for a number of years. So if you kind of look back over the historic press of Bitcoin, oh, it's used by drug dealers, it's used by this, it's used by that, you know, and to extent in, in the beginning, yes, there certainly was a bit of a murky beginning to these things because it found its place in a myriad of reasons. Um, but as that's now emerged into much more prominent mechanisms. Oh, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. I've got a sneaky suspicion drug dealers like to use cash as well. Right. Well, this is this is the rebuttal to the argument. No. Now, remember what I said, Spencer. Every single Bitcoin transaction is 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 recorded. Cash isn't right. So, so this is what people say to me all the time. They go, oh, yeah. So Bitcoin's like kind of an anonymous payment coin. I'm like, well, any criminal worth its salt ain't using Bitcoin because it's all traceable to some extent, right? So ultimately, even if it's even if between these stamps between me and you, they might not be my name and your name attached to it. Well, you've still got to get that money out somewhere. So it's just, you know, you can kind of follow things around. Um, but beyond that, yeah, I mean, it's like saying, oh, well, cash is bad because someone used it for a drug deal one time. Well, it, people are always going to do, you know, back in the day, people did drug deals for sheep or potatoes, right? Like forms of value or gold coins, right? It, it doesn't matter what the form of value is. It's irrelevant. People, bad people will do bad things irrespective of the mechanism. Nothing's ever going to be foolproof. Essentially, it's, um, a, it's a barter system that we're dealing with here. Correct. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so the thing is with Bitcoin is it's nowhere near as um, nowhere near as anonymous as people think, which is which is the first thing. Um, but then beyond that, you know, everyone, like you said, could contract these transactions publicly. So, what we now have is a system where banks and governments around the world are effectively they kind of went through a period where they were a bit upset with it, didn't really understand it, wasn't really an issue. And now, obviously, since the current bull run that we're in at the moment, you know, I think it was only last week or the week before. Bitcoin as a global currency value was worth more than pounds sterling. I mean, that's a ridiculous statistic, but here we are. Governments can't ignore this anymore. So it's one of these things where, honestly, the answer is if you can't beat them, join them. Um, and now we have a lot of the global banks using this technology in the background for their own purpose. Um, which you know I'm sure I can get into in a bit more detail, but effectively because it's not just a form of payment, there's all sorts of other things going on on the, on the ecosystem. Countries around the world have now realized that actually, well, how about if we had Bitcoin or a digital dollar or a crypto yen? 
you know, would there be any, any advantages to that? And the answer in almost every circumstance is yes. So now what we're seeing is a mass adoption by commercials, businesses, banks themselves, governments, because ultimately the technology that comes with this, just in terms of finance at least, is really, really exciting. Um, but again, if we dive into the sub-products of, of the blockchain, well, let's look at an African continent where we could rightly or wrongly say there's been historical problems with corruption, right? So all of a sudden, what if you have to vote for your local politician on the blockchain where every single vote is transacted and recorded in an immutable, non-alterable fashion? That's going to help. Okay, so, I, want, I want to dig into quite a few of those things. So let's just stay, at the, we'll stay on the currency thing and then we'll move on to that and then we'll talk about some NFTs and stuff. And then I want you to tell me more about your business. So when we, when we see what happened recently with the volatility in the market and we go back to that time that guy traded some Bitcoin for some pizzas. Yeah, um, Bitcoin pizza day, right? Yeah, 10,000 yeah. Bitcoin for two slices, <laughs> two pizzas, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, which obviously there's people laughing at that kind of story now. But there were, there were opportunities for people to pay for things with Bitcoin over the course of the last six, 12 months. It's been apparent you can do that. But with that amount of volatility that's going on, it, for the payer and the receiver, there could be somebody could be winning and somebody could be losing if you bought a house, for example, with crypto. So... This volatility we've seen recently, I know there's some f uh, feeding factors into this, but that amount of volatility from an upside and a downside can cause people to be concerned about how stable it is as a now and a future type of use. So what are, you, what are your thoughts of what's going on at the yeah, moment? Well, 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 again, this is where the argument gets taken very literally and it's never given any fair hearing. So I could kind of give you a strong rebuttal to that and say, well, one, zoom out. The price of Bitcoin has gone up multiple tens of thousands of percent on average, thousands of percent every year since its inception 10 years ago. How much is $1 worth now versus 1912? Right, so, so compared to what? You know, you've lost 99% of your spending power on the dollar since that period of, forgive me if that statistic's not quite right, but it's a, it's a huge gap of loss of spending power, you know, and only last year- It's, it's easy at least that, it's easy at right. least that. So, so thanks to Corona, what do we have now? Oh, let's just print a couple of trillion dollars. Whoop. That's not gonna work. So, so, so again, this is, this is where, when you get into the real guts of Bitcoin, it's very, very hard for the average person on the street to understand why it's such a wonderful thing, because unfortunately, people's average understanding of the current banking system is very, very limited. You can't have many rational conversations with someone around a table about the pros and cons of a fractional reserve banking system. Well, look, it's, uh, to me, it's, it's the same as any type of momentum investor out there. When a momentum investor gets involved in any market, they only get involved when they've seen performance first. And so invariably, they're either on the upward or on the top of the crest of the wave and they've come in too late. And that, that happens in every type of investment possible. You can take the stock market, you can take everyone seeing what's gone on. I mean, the PE ratios on um, Tesla are outrageous, yep. but yep. people are seeing it going up. They're like, I'm gonna have a piece of that, gonna have a piece of that. Now, five years ago, do you wanna buy some Tesla? Nope. No, not for me, <laughs> thanks. 
And so it comes back down to, you know, the early adopters and the mindset that they have along with the momentum investors. However, the masses tend to be the momentum investors. They see yes. the performance, then want some performance. And if you'd invested, you know, in the last month or so, then you'd have had your, your fingers burnt because that's, that's your range, isn't it? But if you'd have invested over the last 10 years, yeah. then you're still massively up. So what are you complaining about? Yeah, I think, I think again, I'm not exactly sure on the statistic, but if we, if we eradicate this last month and just go back to say March this year, I think it was something preposterous, like 95 to 97% of all Bitcoin ever purchased was in profit. Good number. That, I mean, it's a pretty ridiculous statistic. Great statistic. Um, but but that, that's kind of where we are. You know, I wouldn't want to hazard a guess as to what that was in the stock market. <laughs> a couple of percent in profit, I suspect. Um, so, so ultimately, it's, it's, it's 10 to 1 and 1 and the other. And that's why sometimes these conversations can be really difficult because... Um, you can kind of handle things on a surface level dead easy. Yeah, cool, it's a digital currency, you can trade it online, there's no third party, digital ledger, everyone can see it, nice and trustworthy, cool. But to really dig into it, you know, you do have to have a good understanding of fractional reserve banking and quantitative easing and what are the disadvantages of printing trillions of dollars and therefore that's why Bitcoin was made with only ever 21 million coins and there'll never be any more. Um, so, uh, again, you can kind of tackle this from many many different sides and you know i could sit here all day and just go down the rabbit hole well, and, you, I'm, I'm you, sure that, you, that's not going to help anybody you could but the interesting thing about this is is that i've been in the investment industry for the last 28 years and most people that i've ever spoken to when it comes to investing say to me right so i'm going to give you 100 quid and you're going to give me 110 quid back at the end of the right. year yeah that bit in the middle is a world they don't understand. Now, whether that be right. options, swaps, futures, commodities, yeah. fixed income, whether that be uh, equities, small cap, large cap, it doesn't matter. Most people, you ask people that have got money in mutual funds, how does a mutual fund work? Yeah, I don't know. And so yeah. most people don't understand it. And what I find fascinating about the whole kind of crypto thing is that people are like, nobody understands it. And I'm like, okay, right, get your portfolio right now and tell me Okay, yeah. okay, what the top five holdings are in your India momentum fund, you know, and oh, oh, I don't know, I think, I've, what have I got, what have right. we got, you know, and you know, do you know what the, what the fund manager's name is, do you know what he invests in, do you know how long he's got to hold those equities for, you know how he can't move to cash that quickly, you know about this kind of stuff. No, no. What you care about is you put 100 quid in, you want 110 quid back at the end of the year. That's what you think about. And it's the same with most people when it comes to investing. So let's move away from that right now. And let's move to the other fundamental benefits of the blockchain. So you just cited a really interesting example about elections in an African country. So let's just, let's just touch on that for a second. Yeah, so ultimately what we now have, so let's forget Bitcoin for a second. Let's just take this blockchain technology. So we've got this cool new technology that ultimately what we have is it's not controlled by a single entity. Everyone that's involved in it is kind of controlling it. So if you have a mining machine, you're part of the kind of crew, as it were, um, on those type of networks. Everyone's verifying all these transactions. Everyone can publicly see the transactions. So what we have is loads of information spinning around that everyone can access and is pure and true. Um, if we just kind of boil it down to that. So what advantages does that have? So this is why there are now over 10,000 different types of coins, because you can have virtually unlimited uses for that technology. So for example, um, there are companies now, say in the shipping world, that are starting to put containers on the blockchain. So is it very handy to know, well, when that 
got docked at China, when it was mid-sale, when it landed at the other country, what time it got offloaded, when it got inspected, all of those information records can be placed immutably on a blockchain so that, let's just say there was, say, a corrupt dock guard that fancied his hands in the pie of whatever you were shipping over, all of a sudden you know exactly where that was up to at every single stage of the journey and you have an immutable record that both parties cannot change if they wanted to. Um, so, you know, this extends into the property world, you know, why on earth do we need an estate agent to sell a house? If I'm buying your house, Spencer, well, how about let you give me um, a Spencer's house token, because you can now create your own tokens on the blockchain, this is something that's happening very quickly. So you give me Spencer's house token, I give you cryptocurrency that both of these are verified publicly on the blockchain, we've now both mutually agreed to swap the assets, we both agree on that in a public sphere, why do I need an estate agent? Because all they do is just communicate between me and you. And why do we need to pay stamp duty? Right. So, yeah, so, so you can see how very quickly this just rolls and rolls and rolls and rolls. And effectively, it has a knock-on effect on virtually every single um, third-party provider. You know, for insurance payouts, let's say. You know, if you go, uh, the, the AXA uh, were doing a test. I'm not sure if this product ended up taking off or not, but I know they're doing some internal tests on a product called Fizzy very strange name um, but all the same it was for automated flight payouts for flight compensation so in the EU for example if you book a holiday with your family and the plane's more than three hours delayed for whatever reason sometimes you're entitled to flight compensation but what's the physical process today of making that claim call up someone at your insurance company send them an email nothing happens email haggle email phone blah 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 and then six weeks later you might get a check in the post Six now weeks. See, if you're lucky, six weeks, yeah. Right, so, so, so that's what ha the process is. So that's expensive for the insurance company because you've got to pay all the staff to not get back to you for six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then in the middle of all of that, you're there as a customer left disgruntled waiting for your money. Now, what happens if the flights were connected to the blockchain and your insurance was connected to the blockchain? So the very second that your, the plane wheels didn't leave on that third hour, you instantaneously get paid automatically no humans in the middle. So it, it only takes five minutes to start th think, thinking, sitting and thinking of reasons where blockchain could fix this problem, it could fix that problem. What about med medical records when you move to, uh, in the UK obviously you have different NHS areas. So you know you could have a, a blockchain distributed NHS record for example, or you know whatever it may be. So it just gets really, really exciting. Um, it's it's almost is, limitless, isn't it, as to what, it what you can do? Yeah. Now, now, that's not to say everything needs a blockchain and everything's going to go that way. You know, uh, typical databases work fine for just lots of things, and that's okay too. But ultimately, when people just get their head up the bum about Bitcoin, 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 they kind of miss all the excitement that the technology of Bitcoin is bringing. Um, you know, with, with the second one after Bitcoin, of course, being Ethereum, which a lot of people really love, Ethereum is not a payment coin. But, you know, if, I, if Ethereum today is two and a half thousand dollars, sure, I can send you on Ethereum and you can choose to receive it as payment. But that's not really what it is. Ethereum is like the best way to think about Ethereum in a real simple boiled down way. So Vitalik, if you're watching, please don't hate me. Um, but in, in a real idiot proof way, it's a bit like the app store for your phone. It's a platform or, or maybe like Microsoft operating system. It's a, it's a platform in which other people can use that technology to build other things on top of. So that's why there are hundreds of coins on the Ethereum network because they use that as a technology platform to build other cool things on.
And one of the cool things Ethereum has is we've got we've got him on the show as well. So uh, thank you for giving me a bit of a heads up to make sure that I don't ask dumb questions. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, no. Vitalik's Vitalik's done some great, great things for the space. Okay, let's uh, let's talk about something else that people are bandying around. A lot of people hear the term NFT. They don't even know what it stands for. It's obviously non fungible tokens. What the hell is a non fungible token? And couldn't they have thought of a different word than fungible? Yeah, yeah. So again, it's not the most user friendly. Um, But effectively, all of this comes back to what we were saying before, this digital trust. So the easiest example of this is I want to buy a painting. So you go to an art gallery and you spend a million quid on a painting. How do you know that's actually an original painting? Without you're, you're not an art dealer, right? You just kind of trust that it is. So a real easy example of NFTs is you can create a unique piece of work, be it art or a program or something in the digital ecosystem. And you can attach to that a a digital code, for want of a better word, and that is digital stamped on the blockchain, proof of originality and authority. So then should that piece ever move hands in, in the process of it being sold or used over time, you can always trace it back to that point of origin. And so, so that can happen gives, with that music and poetry as well? Right. Anything, yeah. And, th- and that's, again, why it's going to be such a big thing because it's all about digital verification. It's ultimately to try and stop, again, in very, very simple terms, it's to stop digital copy and paste. Um, Piracy. You know, yeah, exactly. So, so there's loads of really exciting uh, opportunities there as well. Okay. Well, thank you for the education. Now let's talk about you and your business. You're 31, did you say? Just turned 30. Yeah, just turned yeah. 30 years old. So you're a young. Well, so I, we, I we... say this. I say this. I've been saying I've just turned 30 for a few months now. So no, I'm probably <laughs> yeah, probably towards 31. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't looked up for the last six months. So yeah, 30 <laughs> at the moment, and then age is running away with me. But yes, yeah. Tell me, tell me about your upbringing. Tell me about your childhood. Where, how did, did you grow up in a wealthy family, working class family? What were you interested in as a kid? Yeah, no. So um, people often ask this and it's, well, I guess my answer is it is what it is, but no, really. Um, my mum and dad, you know, my mum works in, in the NHS. Uh, she's, you know, was a midwife for a long time and, and does, you know, does some senior kind of management in the NHS now for, for little babies and making sure people are okay there. And again, my dad was just a, a retail manager, um, you know, managing different retail stores. So um, I've never been, you know, part of a business family. No one in my dark family has any kind of business connections. And quite frankly, uh, when I went to uh, university, you know, to, so I went to Lancaster University, which was, which was you know, real, real great place, one of the best business schools in the UK. Um, I got my degree there and ultimately even my own parents who obviously had seen their son hopefully show quite a lot of signs of entrepreneurial times in his youth from that annoying kid that sold sweets at school to importing exporting stuff off ebay to buying and selling cars to you know trading a bit of this and trading a bit of that and you know all the stuff that that we do as kind of young entrepreneurial people um to them i I remember coming home when it was uh coming up to my final well final year of university everyone's applying for you know proper jobs and um at that point i was just like i know that's not for me you know i'd spent the vast majority of my time at lancaster um running the entrepreneur society so that was a you know effectively a glorified after school club that the the university had but i turned that into quite a a substantial organization over the few years that i was there and it went from being a little kind of something to one of the biggest societies on campus and we had 
big business events and people setting up companies and all these wonderful events that we got into and that was kind of what I spent the vast proportion of my time doing whilst at university less of the academic stuff to my kind of tutors to spare and more kind of practical hands-on let's make things happen um, and, and I think the fact I went to university a little bit older w was quite advantageous for me as well because I'd done a little bit of you know church service in different places before I went away on my mission and kind of been a been a little good boy that wanted to kind of do my bit before I went off in the world as it were and, uh, and and thankfully I was a few years older when I started university and I kind of saw it from the eyes of a someone in their early 20s rather than 18 and I kind of just saw this abundance of opportunity and just kind of got stuck in and used it as a really great platform moving forward but even at all that point it was a case of coming home to, to mum and dad and I'm like hey I've managed to get a first class degree from this great university and it was a case of right well go and get a proper job you know you, you're a clever lad go and go and do a proper thing and you know the the shock and horror when I was like no I think I'm gonna just stay up late watching YouTube videos and I'm gonna teach myself how to make a money-making machine and I'll use the spare bedroom to build these computers even though I don't really know how to build computers and then I'll sell them to people that I haven't yet met and it'll be okay um, it was a bit of a stretch but uh, you know it turns out that that was a fairly smart thing to do in hindsight and um, started the business back in well, actually, you know, again, I didn't didn't come from a particularly wealthy background. You know, we lived lived very well, and my parents have, uh, you know, worked hard for the money and saved, and you know, we live in a nice area, and they've done, you know, very well for kind of standard jobs, as it were, um, but very very conservative. You know, never spent money on nice cars or this or that or the other. Just kind of, you know, quite quite sensible, straightforward people, and I have a lot to thank them for in that respect. But when it came to me taking those risks that's just not something that's in my family's dna historically you know so when i sold my car to start my business because i finished university and didn't have a fiver to rub together um so i sold my car got a few thousand pounds in my pocket and thought well here we go um and, and that was kind of the beginning so fast forward now i think we're four years into the business now just coming up to there um, and now, you know, I have a 100% of a multi-million pound business where we've never had loans, equity or, or funding needed. Um, it's quite a bizarre story in the tech space particularly, um, but ultimately I was able to, to ride the ride the coattails of the crypto market. And, and obviously it's been 2013 since I've been into the crypto space now. Um, I remember putting up posters all around university, come, you know, as the president of the Entrepreneur Society, right? I was like, I need to teach all these students some stuff about business because I'm a few years older and I probably knew this much more than them, but at the time that was enough, you know, and um, and I put up all these posters around campus about, have you heard of Bitcoin? Come and listen to me tell you all about it, you know, 2013. And um, and only a handful of people showed up, of course, because they all thought I was crazy. They're, um, busy, they're busy shagging birds or playing rugby or something, weren't they? Uh, no, no comment. Yeah, no comment. <laughs> and um, yeah, and effectively... My plan there was to, you know, I had a devious motive, uh, you know, really was to kind of, I'd seen the first Bitcoin mining machine that you could buy publicly. And I kind of realized if we could get in on this at the beginning and buy the first Bitcoin mining machine, that'll make us enough money that we can buy the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one. So that was my plan. But obviously at that point, it was a good few thousand pounds. And I, you know, was the student living off pot noodles, right? Um, so that wasn't going to happen. So I was going to use... I'd like to think the gift of the gab slash good financial planning um, to be able to get my friends in a room and say, look, guys, this is going to be great. Let's, you know, let's all go in together, as it were, to buy this machine. And uh, that was that was the plan. And, um, and unfortunately, you know, it didn't end up quite working out that way and we never ended up getting the machine. But ultimately, that kind of was 
the way in which I kind of entered the crypto space and I kind of knew this was before any other coin existed. This was just when there was Bitcoin and a couple of other coins that don't even exist today, really. Um, so I think Ethereum was probably just only on the cusp of, of kind of coming out then. So as the technology moved forward, obviously I kept my eye on things. And then rather than mining Bitcoin, what I realized quite early on was that, um, you know, so my company, for example, we do not mine Bitcoin. We mine or provide power and process all the transactions for all the other tokens. Um, so rather than mining Bitcoin, we actually provide what are called GPU mining machines. So with a Bitcoin mining machine, you can just mine Bitcoin. That's it. And when a new machine comes out that's twice as powerful as your old one, well, that kind of sucks. Um, but with a GPU machine, which is made up of basically very, very powerful computer graphics cards, they're like the Swiss army knife of the cryptocurrency world. All of these different coins are programmed in different languages. So these graphics cards which we use kind of speak all those languages. So one of our machines, the machines which we now make, can mine over 800, 900 different types of coins. So irrespective of where the market goes, we can turn our power to mine a bit of this, mine a bit of that, mine a bit of something else. And what a lot of people don't realize is that's much more power efficient because of the technology. The technology group uh, jumps moving forward is vastly reduced and it's vastly more profitable because if all these coins you can sell on an open market, why would you mine $10 of Bitcoin if you can mine $20 of Ethereum and then you can sell that Ethereum and buy twice as much Bitcoin? So I kind of then grew this business based upon educating business owners into this investment space, letting people kind of buy a posh computer, which obviously has loads of tax benefits uh, in the UK and other countries because it's, you know, uh, deductible in certain ways. And then beyond that, it's not just a one-trick pony. It can mine a bit of this, mine a bit of that, mine a bit of something else. So my logic was, was that if this blockchain, this underlying secret source is the future of technology in regards to this you know, space we're talking about today, then it's kind of like the same as if I knew the internet was going to be a big thing back in the 90s, buying a load of internet servers would have probably been a really smart business model. So, so if, I was to buy, if you were to sell me one of these machines... Could, would I have to keep it in my house or can I leave it with you? We have both options, yeah. Yeah, so we have a lot of our clients are business owners, so they might put them in properties, warehouses, offices, commercial premises. You know, we do a lot in the renewable energy sector, so a lot of farms and hydropower, wind, solar, anaerobic digestion. Um, basically, all you need is a plug socket and an internet connection. You turn the thing on and off it goes. I have this um, image in my mind about you being underground somewhere, one half of it being marijuana being grown under <laughs> bright lights and the other half being all these Bitcoin machines with ACs blowing at them. Yeah, unfortunately, only one of those things is legal. Um, so <laughs> all depends where you live. <laughs> yeah, indeed. So, so it's really interesting. So ultimately, you know, the, the historical returns for my clients um, have been ridiculous, quite frankly. Um, give give me some, first grown. of all, give me some ideas. If someone's going to buy one of these machines, how much money they got to spend typically? You're looking around, we only deal, we, we, we kind of pride ourselves on being the, the premium end of the business. So we ship the most powerful machines on the planet that are all handmade here in Manchester, um, all built by our team. So included in the purchase, it's all the customer support, seven day week support, the kind of gives a call if you get stuck, we can train you how to use the machine, get you all set up. So the average age of my clients is something like 58. You know, this isn't a young kids whiz, you know, tech game. This is for smart business investors that are sick of getting 1% in the bank, realize property investing is quite nice, but in the UK at least you might get 12% a year if you're lucky, which comes with a myriad of tenants which are a pain in the ass. So why not plug in a computer and get paid over a thousand pound a month? 
Okay, so how much they cost? So, on that, so at the moment, the, our current price for the units is about £18,000 in the so, UK. So they have to have it for 18 months in that then to cover the cost? Well, again, that's not necessarily true because, of course, how much coin you earn each month depends upon a myriad of factors. Um, but ultimately, over the past couple of months, for example, it, it's a bit of a funny time, obviously, because the market's very high. Um, but there have been months where the machines have earned two and a half, three thousand pounds a month. Um, and then beyond that, obviously, we've got clients now that extend back four or five years. So the interesting thing is that people often get into the crypto mining space when the prices are really high, getting very excited about these larger monthly incomes, not realizing that actually the smart people who are making really good money, obviously that might be the initial attraction, but our customers who've historically made the most money have been mining during 2018, 2019, when the market was pretty rubbish, because obviously then you're earning huge amounts of coins, you know, some coins which have been mining uh, like Ravencoin. So we, we kind of pride ourselves in mining not only things like Ethereum and, and the bigger coins you'll have heard of, but also some of the smaller coins, which I say smaller, it's still over a $500 million business. Um, but, but these smaller coins, which typically have a much larger multiplier, um, so if you look at, say, Bitcoin was hovering around 10 grand last year, $10,000. We obviously peaked at around 64, $62,000, $64,000 this time. You know, we, some of my clients have been mining Ravencoin since it was maybe one cent, two cent a coin. That peaked at 27 cent a coin. So if you're earning thousands of these coins and earning maybe even just 10 or 15 pounds a day when the market was pretty rubbish, well, in an isolated 12 months, that might be 20% return a year. Still better than everything else. But we advise our clients, it's a three to five year financial play because you want to wait for the value of these tokens to move. So then all of a sudden, it might have taken you two years to realize it, but in real terms, you might have paid off that machine in two or three months. So, so that's where it gets very interesting. And then obviously that's just the raw price. And then obviously you can get your drawdowns to the business. There's obviously multi-buy multi, multi buy discounts as, as people buy you know multiples of machines and so on and so forth. And we kind of specialize in working with the, the higher net worth clients who are doing this at some type of commercial level. But we do still have plenty of clients that are purchasing you know, the ones, twos, fives, tens, that type so, of thing. So is well. your ideal client a company? Yeah, mostly it's B2B that we do, but we do serve individuals as well. Um, obviously just because it's often much more tax efficient as well to purchase through a business because the beauty of it is is that you know you're buying posh computer equipment so the equipment in which we sell all these graphics cards in a, in a, in a server machine basically which again all hand built here in Manchester um, is the same kit that you can use to do artificial intelligence deep compute kind of all this modern day super processing of data is all done on very similar systems so we effectively sell posh computers that can be used for a myriad of purposes but obviously crypto is, is, is certainly a great way to monetize them at, at, at current so if, if people are looking at all of these different let, let's say somebody wants to buy one five of these machines and they're they're mm -hmm. mad about pancake swap and shibu yep so can, so can, can they the, lean into the direction they want to yeah so effectively not now not every single coin is mineable that's just not the way that all these networks work sometimes they, they use rather than machines to verify the transactions, they use something else. So in the, in the example there of PancakeSwap, it's not a mineable coin. But what then you do, if say if you want lots of PancakeSwap, is you would mine, say today, Ethereum is the most profitable coin. So you might be earning 50, 60, 70, 80 dollars. I mean, actually last week, uh, we had our highest ever earning on a single machine per day, which was uh, at its peak, $161 a day per machine. So some pretty stupid income. 
Um, now give and take that with a pinch of salt because of where the market is, but still, um, you could then take that $161, sell it from Ethereum and then buy $161 worth of cake should you wish to do so. So ultimately what my focus is, is we don't particularly commit to a certain type of coin per se, so much as maximizing daily dollar revenue um, for those clients and then they can choose to use those funds for whichever how they want on the back end um, whether that be storing it in Bitcoin or Ethereum or some smaller coins again they're discussions we can have with people dependent upon their interest understanding and, and personal investment design. now if I didn't want to invest in in coins but I wanted to invest in blockchain technology mm -hmm. uh, or, or, or look invest in companies that were essentially disrupting an industry because of the blockchain technology what advice could you give well, invest in me, obviously. That's <laughs> um, what we do, Spencer. But you're, um, but you're, 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 you're selling the mining machine. Let, let's say yes. I come from an insurance background yes. and I sat listening and learning about this and I'm like, holy mother of God, hold on a minute, there's something missing here. Why is my industry like that? Um, yeah. what, what would I do to try and get my nose ahead in that game? Well, firstly, it's, again, it's education. You know, so if you actually wanted to spin out your own product, what's really interesting now is there's lots of, you know, so back in the day, you needed to be a super geek blockchain developer and know millions of codes and to be able to write all this software yourself. So interestingly, one of the things people assume about me when you're asking about my background is they think I'm some type of computer nerd wids kids, you know, that just kind of sits in his bedroom all day, you know, kind of geeking out. Um, I own are you, are you not? And I, I can't write a line of code. Okay. Right. So... So I, and if I've given you that impression, then I, you know, my acting skills are wonderful, <laughs> um, but that's, that's not, not the case at all. Um, so yeah, given I can, I know my way around computer hardware, um, you know, and I've built, obviously it was me getting my hands messy in the first instance, building all these systems. So yeah, I know my way around the insides of a computer. Um, but when it comes to the software, I don't profess to be an expert there. So ultimately, um, you know, that's what you would think you would need. But now the ecosystem has got to the point where there's so many kind of services within this business that a lot of the coins, such as Ethereum, they already exist in a fashion that you can use their technology to create your own services off the back of. So unless you have a particularly unique design, um, that's why things like um, Binance coin are doing so well at the moment, because you can create coins on Binance chain or Ethereum's doing so well because you can create an ERC20 token on the Ethereum chain. So a lot of these coins are designed for other people to build products on top of. So actually half of the work's already been done in the vast majority of cases. Okay, understood. Now, you, uh, you said to me earlier on before we started filming about the number of views you had on your TikTok account. Tell me what your TikTok account yeah. is about. <laughs> Um, yeah, so Easy, Easy Crypto Hunter is kind of us. So easycryptohunter.co.uk.com uh, and you can find us on socials on Easy Crypto Hunter. Um, so again, the logic behind that was let's hunt those coins in an easy fashion. So hopefully there was some logic there. Um, so so you're, are you educating people on, the, on TikTok? Yeah, so effectively the, the TikTok um, particularly um, it, it is effectively our reach out mechanism. So my kind of marketing um, tool there. So for, obviously everyone's been through Corona this year, it's been a very strange year, but historically for my business, because what I do is preposterous, 
in the fact that I realise how hard people work for their money. I realise how small people's investments typically are percent-wise. For me to turn up somewhere and say, last year you made 72% as a customer working with us and it only cost you £12,000, £18,000 or whatever it was at the time. Um, it all sounds too good to be true and I completely respect that because in any other time place in this industry I'd be thinking exactly the same thing so the way in which I've chose to mitigate that is by being very physical and very present in the way I've marketed the company so for example last year in the UK I would spend you know my year really going keynoting at all sorts of events from land diversification events with farmers on how to make more money from your farm to the hydropower turbine association to the British hydropower association to business owner events investor events and kind of everything in between to go look I'm real this is real the company's real here's what it's doing they're the numbers and effectively have to spoon people through the whole journey because four or five years ago you know you were quite you know on the cusp of, of, of this type of stuff if you were kind of investing in this direction now it's becoming a bit more mainstream um, and it's getting a, a little bit easier, but ultimately physical shows was a big thing for us. And since Corona hit, of course, no physical trade shows or events. So I went from 97% of my business coming from physical people that I'd met at physical events to now 97% coming from online. And obviously in order to do that, we had to make some pretty substantial changes. So Jordan over here, one of my lovely video team, um, you know, we've obviously read on the website, we've got a lot of stuff on the YouTube and subsequently TikTok was just another another platform we went to. Um, and interestingly, a lot of marketing people watching this would probably think, well, you just said your average client age is 58, Josh. So what the hell are you doing on a platform where the average age is like 12 to 24? Kind of seems stupid, right? No 20 year olds got you know, or at least the average 20, 20 year old certainly hasn't got 18,000 pounds or a few hundred thousand pounds to, to play with. So what are you doing? Um, and interestingly, we've got a lot of traction from that market um, for two reasons. One, because we show all the machines in their glory and they look really nice. Two, because they contain computer graphics cards, which are really hard to get at the moment. So all the gamers that are 16 are getting real salty at us, which gives us plenty of abusive comments, but again, makes the algorithm work quite nicely for us. But three, because people have parents. <laughs> uh, and ultimately, we've had so many people call us from all around the world, go, my son was just on TikTok, or my daughter was just on TikTok, and he showed me this cool video, so I just had to give you a call and see what it was all about. You know, and that's ended up with orders you know, around the world from uh, kids showing their parents, hey, dad, apparently this machine makes you money, right? And obviously, a lot of people come at it with with skepticism but we've got enough support behind the business now to to be able to verify those claims it's interesting and that you really say that well one of my clients i i fought for him to get onto tiktok for a long time he was a lawyer and he's like don't want to get on don't want to get on i'm like mate get your mm -hmm. ass on tiktok and do a video yeah. every day teaching people about a certain law i charge for my time i'm not giving away my knowledge for right. free anyway yeah. Eventually he submitted and, he's, and he did it. And now he's, I think, seven months in. He's got 150,000 followers and 75% of his clients come from TikTok. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, and he's yeah, like, Spence, I've got to tell you, it's amazing. I'm like, how many times have I told you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. And, and, and these platforms come and go and shift and change and, you know, LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter and, and, and TikTok. But obviously what we do is so unusual. Um, you know, this is why I love conversations like this where hopefully people can go, maybe that guy's not so crazy after all. Um, and maybe this whole crypto stuff isn't as wild as people think. 
Um, and it's just such a great opportunity for people to get involved with because yes, the percentages that people have made in this sector is ludicrous. You know, what are we now? May, you know, if you bought a Bitcoin last year, it was three and a half thousand dollars. Today we sit in at $40,000. So yeah, you've made 12 times your money in a year. I mean, but that's not happened infrequently in Bitcoin. You've had that opportunity 10 times in 10 years to have yeah, done that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's what makes it so crazy. And people just can't understand what this is or how it works. And again, that kind of circles right back around to where we started, which is people don't understand what this is. So they don't understand the business benefits so therefore they don't understand the value behind it and if they don't understand the value behind it they just think it's this silly thing that doesn't have any in, in inherent value um, mate i'm a lot that, older than you and i remember when the internet came out and i sat there going what and i remember when they first launched online banking and i'm like don't be right. so ridiculous i remember one guy uh, had to get a financial advisor that had to get his client to transfer some money and he said, how do I tell him to get his money in the computer? <laughs> and yeah. I was like, no, mate, it doesn't go in the computer. And he's like, yeah, but it doesn't make any sense to me. It's just evolution of the world. And if everybody goes back into their childhood and their early years, everybody, up until your great grandparents who might still be alive, everyone has got a story of evolution of where things came along people were skeptical of people were suspicious about and then people adopted as their normal the people yeah. that took advantage of it are the ones that didn't go oh i'm not sure about that they started off by going oh what's that let me investigate and that's the problem but now it's the yeah. responsibility of people like you for the benefit of you but also the benefit of the people that learn it's a responsibility of people like you to make sure you do as much work as you can educating as many people as possible in a language as many people as possible can understand and that, yeah. that that's what i think is important because when it gets into you know it's just like teaching someone how to use excel you know as soon as you start telling them how to use excel they've got to use formulas oh formula that's math i can't do that let's right. talk about it in a different way and if you can teach people in a different way then they'll learn josh i can't i can't thank you enough for coming to talk to us and sharing your time with us today it's been fantastic talking no, to you have you enjoyed it, being on the show yeah i know it's been it's been brilliant i mean it's just it's one of those things where i'm into this you know a, a good few years now and you know there's people you know, much more successful than myself, such as yourself and other people that we work with moving forward. And it's just, you know, you're doing a good thing in the right place when you can talk to someone you've not met for an hour. And I'm sat here going, let's do another hour. You know, yeah. because you just, you just, you just love talking about what you do. And I think it's just great that, you know, there's such an opportunity in this space. And hopefully, you know, I can, I can explain this to people and get other business owners involved because the more people that get involved, the better it is for everybody. And, you know, the internet would be a pretty boring place if only two people have a website, right? Um, so the, the more people we get involved in this, the more exciting it is for everyone, the more opportunities there are. Um, and ultimately, if I can make my business more successful, helping other people make money, well then, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty cool with that. And that, that's a great place to be. So um, again, thank you very much for the opportunity to come on. And um, hopefully, you know, we can, we can speak again soon. Well, hold on, I've got an idea here. That's really good, thanks, thanks for saying that. But I've got an idea here. When we go live with this and we publish it, maybe a few days after, would you be prepared to go live and come and do a Q&A with my audience? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, not a problem at all. Okay, uh, that might to. be really valuable for them because they can. There's obviously people going to be listening to this right now. Go, Why didn't you ask him that? Why didn't you ask him that? And I think that people having the opportunity to ask, do you think that'd be a good idea, Alicia? Yeah, I think we should do that. Josh, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. We'll make sure that uh, everyone gets the details of you and your business and starts following you and engaging with what you're doing. But for now, thanks very much for joining us on the show. No problem. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Spencer. <laughs>
Well, wasn't that an interesting conversation we just had there with Josh? For a guy to be able to make things simple, that's a very complicated world, the crypto world, the blockchain world, and most of us, if we're honest, don't really understand it. Well, people like Josh are helping us to understand much better. And I for certainly picked up on some stuff. Alicia here that's in the studio as well. Well, this was not in a head away. She was getting great benefit from it too. And I'm sure that you took some notes and took some benefit from that as well. So it's always important to mention people that you partner with and partners for the podcast are Najahi events and Najahi tribe. Now, Najahi sounds like an unusual word, and it is, but it's Arabic for my success. And Najahi have brought some of the world-leading public speakers, motivational speakers, inspirational leaders across to Dubai over the course of the years, and Abu Dhabi, mind you. And Najahi brought, I don't know, people like Tony Robbins, ever heard of him? Okay, Nick Vujicic, no arms, no legs, no worries, Lisa Nichols, Prince EA, Jay Shetty, uh, Alicia Keys, and people like this. And they bring them in and they run events. And from those events, we go and we learn from these incredible people. On top of that, they launched the Najahi tribe recently, where they have a collective of the world's greatest trainers that literally you can join, become a member of, take advantage of a training from all of these different people, like real experts in their field. I've got a sneaky suspicion I might be one of them as well. But anyway, <laughs> hopefully you will go and check them out for me because you enjoyed these episodes of the podcast. And remember, it's always team effort and I can't do it without the support of these people. So go check out Najahi Events, N-A-J-A-H-I events.com. If you're listening to this wonderful podcast episode on iTunes, then please leave me a five-star rating. I'd really appreciate it. If you're listening to it on any other podcast app, though, leave me some love. Give me a follow. Leave me some comments. It's really appreciated if you do. And more importantly, the more comments I get, the more love that I get, the more people that this podcast will be shared with. So please take your time to do it. I really, really appreciate it. See you on the next episode.